you feel like you've actually been somewhere. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Decoding Cocktails podcast. I'm your host, Chris LeBeau. The goal of this show is to understand the inner workings and evolution of mixology, hospitality, and community. As I further my own knowledge of the field, I'm inviting you to join me. You'll hear me interview people from around the industry about their work and beliefs. If you like what you hear, the best way to keep up is to subscribe via the podcast app you use. And if you think others will like this, I invite you to share an episode or write a review. Your words help grow our audience. And you can keep up with the latest news via our newsletter, Cocktail Confidential, or see what we're working on via Instagram. And please reach out. I'd enjoy hearing what you liked, learned, and what else you'd like to see me dig into. So let's get into it. My guest today is Steve Smith. He's worked in the restaurant industry since a mere age of 13. He began by washing dishes at a basement bar and restaurant. He's worked in plenty of other capacities around St. Louis in concerts, sporting events, professional driving, labor, and vending beer at multiple ballparks. He opened the Royale in 2005 and the TikTok Tavern in 2014. So one of the reasons that I was excited to be able to interview Steve uh, actually came out in a comment he says during the course of the interview, and but I feel like it applies to his bar, and that is when uh, we, we talk about a number of great bars while we were together, and that part did not make the podcast. However, they are in the show notes, so if you're looking for bars, and Steve highly recommends you get outside of your comfort zone and visit bars around town, go in there with a great attitude. But he said of many places that, you know, when you walk into a really distinctive bar, you feel like you've actually been somewhere. And this honestly really resonates with me. I've experienced this a couple of times, especially in more, uh, you know, cosmopolitan, faster moving, transient parts of cities around the country. Uh, I think about uh, the lovely city of Denver, where I spend a lot of time with my brother or Nashville. I remember one time in particular being in a hip, quote-unquote, part of downtown Nashville and thinking, you know what? I feel like if you told me that I was in Denver right now, I would believe you because there was kind of this look and feel to sometimes to more modern construction. There are templates that are followed, and this can be effective, but at times can also create a more generic as opposed to very idiosyncratic and unique experience. And when you go to a bar like the Royale, you really feel like you've been somewhere. Um, the, the art on the walls, uh, you know, the, uh, the kind of more tight menu as Steve will talk about a little bit in the interview and really just the wide cast of characters that exist at a bar like that. Another thing that's interesting about Steve as I talk about all the time, uh, in my little world is that the Royale is by many accounts, the first real cocktail bar of this age, if you will, that uh, St. Louis has a uh, proud cocktail history. But prior to the Royale, uh, as Steve puts it during the interview, you might have found a good number of shot lists around town, but finding a cocktail list was fairly uncommon at that point. And so when he opened the Royale, he wanted to have this great mixture of uh, more, um, you know, well or working class versus 
uh, nicer things available. But in addition to that, to, to debut drinks like uh, a sidecar or his uh, one of the drinks he's had on the menu for forever, the Subcontinental. And Steve talks about, in addition to having to, of course, you know, learn what works and what doesn't, which is all part of the game, to watch customers' ma- tastes mature over time is also fun. Um, but taking also a step back in time um, to wh- wherever you're listening to this, you know, your own city evolving. But St. Louis, I mean, you know, as uh, he puts it, this was a one-company town for a long time, and Anheuser-Busch was just, it was everywhere. It was just what you expected, and, you know, finding something as simple as Guinness or a Corona was kind of a, a luxury. And he even talks about that prior to AB being purchased, that if he were to get his hands on something like a cask of beer, that he would have a line out the door because you couldn't get beer out of a cask anywhere in town. And now craft beer across the country has just exploded and we're witnessing spirits and cocktails along the same trajectory. Another thing, uh, the Royale opening in 2005, and I don't remember exactly when I first went there. And, you know, my, my early memory, who knows what that is exactly, but it is different from many of the places that I probably went to in my younger years in terms of like, okay, how many drinks can you put down? How quickly? You know, shots, etc. He said he really envisions a Royale, the Royale because Steve talks about wanting to, this to kind of be a, a public house, a place for community and fellowship, that a place where you, uh, quote unquote, drink at your best. And, you know, I know that there have been many, many patrons who have uh, been quite uh, quite inebriated, I'm sure, over the years at the Royale, but like this isn't a place where you just come to just tie one on, but to come and really build memories and, and be with people in, in a way. And so I, I loved hearing him talk about uh, that sometimes he'll see people come in that he's like, that seem pretty young and like, are they going to be ready for an establishment like this? But that hopefully also it can serve as a training ground for how to drink at your best. So I think that's something interesting to reflect on. The The final thing I will lay out there, because we've all obviously been through the ringer over the past couple of years, is that uh, I asked Steve about uh, a legendary night that he recalled at the Royale. And you know, the, the bar has been open for, you know, for 17-ish years now, so there's plenty of opportunity. But it was, uh, I really liked it because he took the time, one of the memories he shared was actually from the pandemic. And it was cool to hear him not only share a, a night that he really remembered in particular, but to also hear him say, oh, yeah. This is why I'm in business. This is a moment when I can look at what's happening here and say, we are providing an important service. Uh, So I hope you look out for that part of the interview. Uh, A lot will be in the show notes today. Uh, Steve covers a lot of ground uh, regarding various bars in St. Louis, but also the things that I think are are useful tidbits to consider. So with that, uh, enjoy this interview uh, because Steve is a, a fascinating character with all sorts of knowledge. Okay, um, so Steve, first, thanks for taking some time today. I appreciate it. Sure thing. I uh, Something that came to mind earlier today, my girlfriend and I, we've been seeing each other for about eight months now, 
I think actually she told me eight months on Friday for those that care. And, uh, but while she was born here in St. Louis, she lived on the East coast for 25 ish years. And she'd been back in town for about a year prior to us, uh, going out. Mm -hmm. And, um, when we talked about places to go, she had already covered some bases, but she hadn't been to the Royale. And I was like, I think I'm actually constitutionally <laughs> obligated to bring you here as a St. Louisan, just because, you know, uh, I feel like you've certainly worked, you know, you've built mm -hmm. a great institution here. So for people that haven't been to the Royale for one reason or another, tell us a little bit about this bar, what you were mm -hmm. aiming for when you started it and, sure. and such. Uh I opened the Royale in 2005, uh, so we've been around for a minute now. And when I opened up uh, South City, St. Louis City in general was it was different. The bar scene was definitely different. There's still there were a lot of great things about it, but uh, I was introducing something a little bit different. I wanted a civilized spot that uh, kind of welcomed different types of crowds. I have a a way I've said it in the past is it's a place that you can hang out with your friends, you can go on a date, or you can even take your mother to, and it's going to hit all those spots and still feel comfortable for you to be in. You don't feel like you're in it for the other person necessarily to, you know, please them. You're, it's going to please everybody. Um, neighborhood bar. We're right in the middle of South City, right off of Tower Grove Park, a pretty dense neighborhood. And so the classic American corner bar that's uh, been upgraded a bit and in 05 you didn't see a ton of that uh, you see them a lot more now and a lot more developed cities like uh, in the midwest in particular have uh, very highly developed neighborhood bars not necessarily like all just fancy places or chic or very hip but uh, very well appointed uh, and connected to their neighborhood. And that's something that I've been living in South City since I was a teenager and have a lot of very strong, long connections down here. And bringing a place that was presentable with some upgraded, finer cocktails, being very thoughtful about that, something that hadn't really hit yet uh, much around here, at least in the particular times that we're in now. And uh, the beer uh, is very complicated here in the great beer city of St. Louis. So things to do things differently in terms of beer is definitely a noticeable thing. And it's something that, you know, uh, this bar along with, uh, I was not the only one, but there are bars that uh, started really diversifying their offerings and the styles of beer and the types of breweries that they were being offered from. And then upgrading also uh, what is thought of as bar food. And now I will be very honest here is that I did not intend on opening a restaurant here. Not a lot of people know that. My intent was definitely to open a bar. But you can certainly tell that if you know me. or And if you look around the bar, we are bar forward with certainty without apology. But uh, as I started to dabble with the food, I was experiencing. I was working with a lot of really great people, still work with some of those great people today, that encouraged me to more further develop a full menu out of a tiny bar kitchen. Not a kitchen, a bar kitchen. So this bar kitchen is 
most likely smaller than the one you have in your home with certainty if you have a house, if probably smaller than the one in your apartment. Uh, it's a, it's a three person kitchen and it's tight, super tight. In fact, I can show you on the way out of here. It's, uh, it's miraculous that we can, I didn't even know we would be able to serve the amount of food that we have. And that has been actually a very fun, uh, and complicated and laborious, um, trek since then of having food in a bar forward kind of place. Um, and I've been very grateful that we've been able to pull it all together and do this in the last, uh, now 17 years with a couple shutdowns, of course, during a pandemic, maybe another one, who knows what's coming up, but <laughs> it's, uh, uh, I wanted to elevate what, what you experience in a bar for meeting up with your friends, not just your typical, um, spot that you could be filled in by almost any other place. And those places have high function and I value them and I even go to them, but I just wanted to offer something a little bit different. Now you can see them actually, they're around. There are a lot more places that have little tips that are closer that, you know, when we were starting, you can see them kind of going that way. You see the bar food in St. Louis is exceptionally better. The, 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 the beer offerings is everywhere almost everywhere, like 90% of the places now is when it used to be like 5% of the places. Now it's 90% of the places are like, usually you could get pretty good beer almost anywhere, uh, or at least a beer that you would really like, depending on what you want. I mean, beer is, you know, subjective, of course, to the drinker. I don't want to cut anybody out, but, uh, and most places, most places didn't have cocktail menus. They would have maybe a shot menu or a special on a, like a, like a, whiskey and coke or something but you never really saw cocktails being poured and especially in such a beer town like this one that had been beer had been pushed awful hard cocktails have been suppressed for a while although we do have actually a very strong cocktail history here uh uh going way 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 back but it had been pushed down since for a while and then it kind of bloomed again along with the beer right around the same time, which was actually been kind of great to own a bar in the city. And uh, the scene has definitely changed a lot, and I'm sure I know we're going to get into that. I'm actually kind of excited because now that we have some time under our belt, we can, I can actually think about it well, something that I kind of had a feeling about when I opened up that things were changing and how I wanted to be a part of this, that I, I wanted to be a part of that change. And I, I was already there. And... Um, but we also have continued to sort of change things up a little bit, and I've had to continue to do so, especially during this uh, global pandemic that we're under. <laughs> you know, as a quick aside, yet not having been in the kitchen before, one thing that I can certainly know, at least visually as a patron, mm -hmm. if you're sitting on the patio in the nice months oh, yeah. during service, you will certainly see people from the kitchen going back and forth across, mm -hmm. pulling stuff from, I gather you got a walk-in out That's there. Exactly correct in the garage. And obviously in terms of a three-person uh, you know, kitchen, mm -hmm. I think they do it the exact same way over at the Mud House on Cherokee too. Mm -hmm. So yeah that that yeah so we have our prep foods and everything are kind of strewn about uh outside of the kitchen in fact that kitchen at the mud house was very efficient but our kitchen's still about half the size of that one <laughs> and the dish stations in there too which is a lot of people outside the industry might not uh, fully realize about how important every square inch is that you can use 
and it's more like a submarine uh, style kitchen, um, which is actually kind of fun. All these things are challenges. And some people are like, oh, I wish you had all these other things on your menu. And I'm like, well, there's only so many things I can offer. And honestly, I'm okay with that, you know, because mm-hmm. I'm not looking to be uh, a restaurant with like five pages of stuff on it. I'm just looking to be like a place you can meet up with your pals, get some good time in with your with people, order some really good food, get some great drinks. You know, it doesn't have to be everything. And nor does that's that's what's so wonderful, especially about a city like St. Louis where the Royale might not be your cup of tea, that's fine. There are hundreds of other places out there that are fantastic that you can go to and appreciate. And there's not just one only bar out there. And that's what's so great. I go to other places too. And I know we're going to touch on that. And that's so much, that's a big passion of mine too, is I love going to other places all the time. Yeah, and I do look forward to kind of picking your brain on Uh it. But but something you said, you know, to the special, the ARC, that drinks have been on, but before mm-hmm. even the cocktail thing, mm-hmm. you know, trying to open up a, not trying, opening up a bar here in a, uh, at least former beer capital. We obviously have yeah. a, a wonderful uh, craft scene and mm-hmm. AB still plays a presence, but for a place that seems like for a long time it has had a fairly diverse selection, mm-hmm. for an outsider looking in, mm-hmm. what is it like in 2006 or whatever, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. trying to offer a diverse selection of beer in a town that at the time was run by right, Anheuser-Busch. Yeah. We, it was a one-company town, Anheuser-Busch. It was not uncommon to have, <clears throat> in fact, it was common for for bars in the city and in this part of the this part of the country, really, to have only Budweiser products. And uh, it was kind of considered odd to even carry other things um considered fancy to have guinness or something so to come in to st louis the diversity of products were kind of relegated by a main brewery i mean it took a lawyer to open up schlafly wasn't a brewer he was a lawyer and it was tricky and now things have changed people are excited you know we got other offerings but at that time uh, it was sort of, it was suppressed. It was definitely a suppressed time. You could find your beer. You had to seek it out. You really had to kind of go around. There was literally just a handful of places in the south side, which is a huge area that would carry uh, more than maybe one or two beers that were not uh, lagers. And uh, so entering into that time, I knew that there were people that wanted to try that. I wanted to try it. I know my peers wanted to try it. We were already going places already that we wanted to do that. And we could tell that direction was clearly going to go. It's, I mean, there's still absolutely a market for lager beers, including from myself. I do appreciate a good lager, a Pilsner, a Stouts I'm a big fan of. But to be able to try so many different beers, and everybody was eager to even make them if they could get their hands on brewing equipment and i knew that if we had a place that could offer these things and a balance of them and that's another thing is having to learn how to do a proper balance of different types of beer more is not better necessarily i mean there's yeah it's great to go to a place that's got 96 taps but really there's a lot of caveats to having 96 taps is keeping your beer fresh of course but being able to balance that on 12 taps 10 taps 14 taps and to keep them moving is a science as well and that's something that we've had to, I've had to learn. You know, you can't just stick with the same beers, even if 
people love them. You know, you got to keep moving them around a little bit, keep introducing people into it. And the scene has evolved since then. I mean, before I could get a, uh, a cask of beer and it didn't matter what it was. Nobody could get a cask and I would have a line out the door just for the cask. Now the beer scene is, I think a good term is saturated. Uh, there are, when I guess in 05 when I opened up, there was maybe two or three breweries that now were not Anheuser-Busch in this town. And uh, Schlafly was really the big one. I think it was O'Fallon. And I think the other one was closed, like Route 66 downtown or something like that. It was like a, a novelty type of place. There may have been one other one. Anyway. Or, yeah, like uh, Square One was probably brewing beer at that point, but it was yeah. that was real small. small yeah, place. yeah. I'm not yeah. sure. They opened up right around the same time I did, so they may not have even been doing it. Fair it was, point. Yeah. Yep. Um, but they, that all changed. They, people, things were opening up, but that all changed. I think it was like 08, 09, when the buyout happen, happened, um, when the uh, Brazilians and Belgians came in and threw down a bunch of money around town. Well, <clears throat> of course, in that, with all that money being thrown around, uh, the, a lot of the talent from Anheuser-Busch now had a big payday, and they know how to do one thing. And so now we have a plethora of breweries in this town in fact they were, were lousy with breweries i mean we went we it was probably the fastest growing brewery market i mean there were other cities like portland oregon or whatever spots that are not traditionally known for beer that had tons of breweries but they were it was not a natural brewing town and so we already had a huge demand for beer and then we have all these people that all they knew what to do was to make beer market beer distribute beer package beer now they're they're they they're sitting on you know fund and so you know you got Urban Chestnut you got Perennial Side Project, I mean I could what name off maybe another fifty that it had opened up in the course of maybe ten years which is nuts for a, a market like this, so it's been a great renaissance and to be a bar in this now I will say there is something of a flip side too is that now. <sighs> As a consumer, it's fantastic. I have breweries. I've got one, two, three, I don't know, f- f- depending on how long, how far you want to consider. Within a bicycling distance, I have like probably five or more breweries I can go to that have beer halls on them. And some of these beer halls are enormous. And now all of a sudden you go from like I'm the place where you can get a good craft beer to like you can go anywhere. In fact, you can go to these giant halls like some of them. I'm sure probably could get close to like, I don't know, 500, 800 people in them, maybe more. I don't know. Urban Chestnut is enormous and civil life is expanding. And and even uh, Second Shift is not a small facility. Uh, uh, And so it is a different landscape. Like all of a sudden, like you're a real big beer head. They used to come here exclusively because we were one of the few places you can get, you can go down maybe a couple of tap rooms, but the brewery tap rooms, but now it's like they'll come here, but you want, you know, like, but we are a bar. So it's an interesting relationship to have now with breweries that are in direct competition for, <laughs> for what we're doing. But honestly, you know, we're just going to continue what we do best. They're going to continue doing what they do best. And, uh, I think people do appreciate having a neighborhood bar, you know, not everything has to be a brewery. Not everything has to be a distillery and, uh, um, you know, I'm I'm not looking to become a brewer. That people floated that by me more than once, and I did think about it. But that's not my personal passion. Is not to brew beer. It's certainly to get together with my with the good people with some fine drinks, 
and, uh, uh, you know, be neighbors and be neighborly and, um, keeping those standards up and then getting involved with things. You know, I don't necessarily need a manufacturing facility for that though. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, you know, looking at applying a longer landscape, we've obviously talked about beer and the proliferation we've witnessed here in Mm -hmm. St. Louis. Mm -hmm. Obviously we'll talk about the cocktail thing too, but it strikes me. I know that if my research is correct, you Mm -hmm. did some of your own, R&D when you were opening the Royale in in Chicago and maybe some other places. Uh But it strikes me nationally, regardless, that some places may have been slightly bigger cocktail or more diverse beer markets. But what we're witnessing everywhere right Mm -hmm. now in terms of proliferation of beer, proliferation of spirits and cocktails, Mm -hmm. everything for a long time, I think, had largely been much more... uh, brief, you know, concise than it is now. Is that your read? Is that what you remember when you were kind of making that call and you were shopping in other markets or, or, or did they have uh, a wider selection of product there? Uh, there were some wider selections in some of these places I went to. Uh, I went with a longtime uh, advisor and friend, uh, Tim O'Connell, who I know that you actually did some research and found out. We went up to, on a road trip, it was probably about two or three months before I opened this place. It was in January of 05. And we went to Chicago and Milwaukee. And Chicago had some elements of the beer's expansion. Not necessarily a, it's not really a brewery city. I mean, they might try to say that, but they're not. Not, not, like, not like here, not like Milwaukee. But, I mean, they love their beer. Absolutely. And I noticed that some of the things they were doing in terms of spirits that were being done on a more common circumstance, we'd see them with like in a regular neighborhood, not a lot of them, but they were there and the same in Milwaukee. Now Milwaukee was more beer laden. I'd say more of their, their vibes were more developed in terms of their neighborhood vibe. And I was particularly fond of the Milwaukee beer scene or bar scene, not necessarily the beer scene. But in terms of spirits, Chicago, there's a few places, the Matchbox, um, at least at the time. And I believe it's turned over uh, at least once since then. And they've expanded. And, but at least when I was going in, and it was prior to then, but I went back and I just wanted to see what it was like. It was like, what is it like to go into this place in the middle of the afternoon or, you know, at a non-peak time, not weekend time, or when the weather's bad, you know, like as the neighborhood showing up. What are the neighborhood drinking? So what's the selection that they're offering? They would offer a cheap beer, but they would also offer uh, like a Belgian triple. Mm. They would offer, um, you know, you could get yourself um, a rail whiskey for a uh, modest price. But you could also get a, a, you know, a decent scotch or a decent uh, uh, low batch whiskey. And And I, I would see that and like, I want both of those things. I come from a background of working uh, in this industry where you may only have, you know, you don't know, you know, sometimes you had a really good shift and you have more money, more cash in your pocket than perhaps you should have. And you should put it in the bank, but instead you go out and you drink it and you want to drink some fancy stuff and eat some fancy food. But then there's sometimes you come off a shift and you got $10 in your pocket, but you still want to have a good time. And like, how do you do that? Well, I guess I'm not going to have 10 drinks tonight, but I can s- still get, you know, three 250 beers 
or, you know, I'm talking a while ago when we'd have those prices, you know, I mean, when I started off, beer was considerably cheaper than it is now, but I think it's still a good value. <laughs> but, uh, um, I noticed that, you know, I, I wanted to make sure that that diversity had happened within the spirits and, uh, and the beer and to be able to have that balance to not just be a craft beer craft cocktail place but to certainly offer that and to be able to offer some nicer drinks that can be still at a decent price without having to you know pay the high higher prices that uh now granted of course everything's expensive now everybody's had to raise their prices in the last uh, 18 months so sometimes i i kind of cringe at my own prices too sometimes but i'm you know it's a survival thing and it's just what it is so I get nostalgic for these old prices too, as we all do. But we got to remember that these prices are what keep us going. You know, if you're going to demand it's just going to be cheaper, well, you're just going to go to you're going to have to go to a different place. <laughs> right. You know, I I think about some of the dive bars you go into where I you I feel like they should almost have a sign on there where one I I want these mm-hmm. places to stay in business, but right. sometimes when you see the 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 price of a beer that you order, it's like what year is it right now? Because (laughs) how can you be charging me $2 for a 16 ounce draft pour, you know, whatever it's just, it's, and maybe it's because they, they've owned the building for 30 years, but it's it's crazy. It is, it is crazy. And I often enjoy it. And there's places, you know, like the, uh, that I love that have very cheap drinks sometimes. And I continue to go to them and it's great. Grand. Yeah. I think owning the building and also some of those places look like their, uh, investment in their, um, infrastructure might be a little lacking uh, some deferred maintenance perhaps i'm sure you would notice in the bathrooms they might not be uh, as well appointed as some other places and uh, that's something as you know as i actively reinvest in my building as we are actually meeting upstairs because my walk-in cooler is being rebuilt and i'm having beer shoots rebuilt and i've had all sorts of things that i constantly invest in because i don't know i really like my business and i want it to operate as best as possible you know, it's just treating your place right. And, um, you know, it's, if it's, if it's just about this, I can appreciate a cheap beer, but it's, that's not what it's about. That's, I don't know. If it's just about cheap beer, then just go to the places with specials all the time. Sure. So it, it does feel like kind of a natural segue at this point to ask. Mm-hmm. So whether it's for, you know, the St. Louis and themselves, someone driving through or people, touring people around town when they're here and this could be obviously public establishments but Mm -hmm. you know knowing that you are such a booster for the city in general Mm -hmm. you know where are some uh local watering holes or 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 or, or, or nicer establishments that you think people really should check out well there are some great establishments around town that i've always loved uh i i used to write for sauce magazine back in the day and i would go drink it Every my point was I want to drink in every neighborhood in the city, and I have. I've had a drink in an actual bar in every single neighborhood in the city, and they are very different as from each other in many ways. But the one common theme on a lot of these places is that they have they're there they're there to have a good time. It's people from the neighborhood coming together to sit together and have a good time, and it's that that's universal. And if you're there to go have a good time, then I think 
it's going to go very well. And a lot of people get really intimidated, especially, you know, you go, whether it's North Broadway or South Broadway, probably almost in any city on a North Broadway or South Broadway, you can get to some pretty interesting spots, you know. And there's some pretty interesting places and some more, more interesting experiences have been in bars on Broadway. Um, so, like, over the years, you know, like, whether it's Playboy's Cappuccino Lounge up in Baden or uh, I believe that's still running, popping up there. And then... But then there was like the, um, oh man, what's the, the, the what was it called? It was down on Zepp in South Broadway. That place was dodgy as hell. Anyway, if you go down towards Crondelet, you know, like the No Wake Zone is passed or Slow Toms, and that's a new place now. But um, uh, you'd be surprised, you know, like, oh, I'm not welcome there for whatever reason, whether or not, you know, it's like, you're of a different color than the person that's in there that's primarily or you're a different age or you're not uh you don't work at the factory across the street like everybody else like you just don't go in with an attitude and 99 percent of the time you're gonna be fine i'm gonna tell you what that's pretty good odds in that one percent of the time you'll just you'll figure it out and it's okay somebody might not be happy that's pretty common too actually no matter where you go you know you can go to the fanciest restaurant in town and there's gonna be somebody that's gonna you know be unpleasant too i'm sure and to just be able to feel it because then you get you feel like you've actually been somewhere unlike sadly in a lot of places and this was a problem i found in chicago and some cities that have some or in more transient areas of even this town is sometimes you feel like you don't even know where you are you know it's like i could be anywhere in the world not in the world but anywhere in the united states or at least this part of the united states i don't even know where i am but you go to some of these bars let's say on broadway you definitely know you're in Crandallette or you definitely know you're in Baden or you definitely know you're like near downtown. Like, you know, it's like, it's, it's just a weird neighborhood slash downtown vibe. Like you get a Bernie's over there on uh, just off Broadway near North side. And, uh, and that's something like, I don't know, to me that, that really hits to be able to feel like I was actually at a place that was distinct to that place. And if it's forgettable, that's fine. It's functional. I was able to get a good drink and some good food there, but if I can feel like I've been somewhere and uh, that's usually the, usually it's the owner. Sometimes it's literally the physical place. Like I didn't meet the owner of the matchbox, uh, but the physical place is so narrow and it's wedged into the neighborhood and it's a long ass bar and it's got a clear function of that room is to get a drink at that bar. There's nothing else really there to do. And it's a very beautiful presentation. So sometimes a physical manifestation, and then that will set a vibe that then allows people to kind of stack together, which is what you get at a tight bar like that. And that, that gets, then that can create its own vibe, but the owners can usually set a vibe by the, you know, the type of bartender they have and then the offerings they do. And then the kind of general, uh, physical setup that they have as well. But I could I could go on and on about the many different types of bars I've been to. That's what I did. Recently, I went up to uh, Milwaukee, and I literally, or Wisconsin, and then on to Milwaukee. And, like, the bars that dot that state are amazing. And then you go into Milwaukee. It's, like, the capital of all these places. And it's, like, bars that have been owned by multiple generations of people. Those are usually pretty sweet. Like, Carol's been over there at the Iowa Buffet, I believe, since the 70s. And uh, there's been a bar there prior to that as well. And to be able to to uh, go multi-generation, and a lot of the ones in North St. Louis as well are multi, multi, multiple generations that go in there. 
uh, a family that owns it. And then you see multiple generations that are going there. Although North St. Louis in particular is, uh, um, they have restrictions in terms of ages that are different than the South side. You'll see a lot of 35 and up 30 and up clubs up there. And, uh, it's something that I think about every once in a while, you know, but <laughs> to actually do that, keep, the, keep out the riffraff a little bit. But uh, I, it's something that's, you know, that, that's an interesting thing. And then you talk to the bartender, well, why won't you take anybody under 35? I'm like, well, we might, but, you know, it also gives us good reason not to take in, like, a group of kids that are not uh, ready for a place. And I get that, too. Like, I've when I see a bunch of kids coming in, I can see them, like, I'm going to have to card every single one of these kids. They're probably 21, but I bet you they're closer to 21 than they are 25. It's like, oh man, are they ready for this place yet? Are they? Do they even know what they're getting into? But that's why I feel it's important that people go to places like this, not necessarily in full party mode, but to come in and learn how to drink at your best, in, at your best, not just to get fucked up, just you know to truly have a good time. And you know, we try to help guide people. And do that if they're not doing that. Well, then sometimes we'll have to guide them right out the door if they're not going to participate as well. It's still a South City tavern, you know. Sometimes there's some people that just aren't ready for it yet. So <laughs> they can go to another place down the street. Kings Highway's got a lot of bars on it. So obviously as a country, we have witnessed cocktails really take off. But mm-hmm. in 2005, 2006, mm-hmm. not a lot of people are probably you know, saying, hey, I, I got to get me an old-fashioned, a whiskey sour, or a sidecar, whatever. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about rolling out your menu and, you know, what was that like in terms of, was it more of a, a curiosity? Were people ordering stuff? What was that like and how have you seen that evolve well, over time? Well, it was, yeah, there's definitely a curiosity factor. And then there was an edge, you know, even though I was an experienced uh, barman at that point, it's still, I mean... The stuff was still pretty new. Even, you know, I'd, I'd made these drinks. I'd messed around with them. But to see them actually applied and served at a at a volume that I was hoping to achieve like we do now at the Royale, I hadn't really done before, you know. I mean, we'd done some, but it was mostly really basic stuff. So I that's when I was with Tim O'Connell and some other people as well. But we kind of cobbled together the... Uh, backbone of what the original cocktail list of the Royale and you know there there were some things on there that we had to change because you know that well we actually have to push out these cocktails and I've had to do that more than once on my cocktail menus to sort of do a full revision on it because I I it's not just a place where you go in and it's super high service and you're just getting like um, and those places can be fun I get I go drink there too but it's like a the presentation's a big part of it you know, where you, you sit down and they might light a match or something and do some fun stuff to it and add in crazy garnishes with, you know, 10 different mixes in there. So it was it was a mixture between uh, um, there were, the customers were curious about the drinks and they were trying everything. They wanted to try everything, which was great. And then it was then a mixture of that with me trying to figure out how to make these drinks work on that scale. And I had to, you know, the subcontinental, which is one of our signature drinks that people love for good reason. Thank you, Tim. Uh, the uh, 
But, you know, I had to adjust how that was done. I was juicing fresh to the drink, and that didn't last too long. And I was like, okay. <laughs> you know, and then I had to learn how long juices keep, things I can do to keep the juices, then catalog it, you know, and then marking them. So then we know when juice needs to go, and then pouring it out, and then going fresh stuff, and then, you know, keeping the stock moving. Uh, uh, and then I opened up the cocktail making to, uh, of course, the people that I, I was working with, but as well, I have, uh, people that I call from time to time, Matt McBride, some other people that, uh, when I do want to upgrade, uh, the cocktail list, I'll consult with them. And it's a very loose consortium of people that I'll talk to. And, uh, I've got some great people here on staff, um, uh, uh, Peter's been doing a fantastic job of kind of keeping it tight, you know, and, uh, keeping it interesting and then mixing it up. Uh, uh, you know, we do the Manhattan, we do, we do a, uh, we do the rye Manhattans. We do some, um, uh, we do the Pegu clubs. We can do some of our own concoctions as well. And, um, uh, different, you know, we'll start, we started messing with infusions. A lot of things that, I mean, you, you, I'm not the only game in town when it comes to making interesting new cocktails. I'm, it's just not the case. We were one of the only games in town. And I think it's great. Other people are doing it because, you know, people were introduced to it. And they were introduced in a very approachable place here. But it's not the Ritz. This is not the fancy restaurant. You know, this is a place on King's Highway, you know. And, uh south king's highway <laughs> and uh it's been great to sort of evolve along with the customers and then they still have their favorites but we you know i have a i've been able to build a solid enough bar where we can still make just about you know we can make a lot i don't want to say everything but a lot of things so we got we now have like a catalog a library of things that we can do and uh the customers taste have uh, uh, you know, I think they've become more mature for sure. And we've been able to become a little bit more experimental in the, in what we've done and some things work, some things don't, but that's fine. I mean, that's the beauty of, uh, an evolving list. And I've seen some places stay static and they've done okay doing that, but that's not this place. So I was also kind of wondering too, um, and now I've lost my question, which is just fine. Um, so there's obviously a lot, lot of evenings that you've spent, you know, at this, at this tavern at this point, but is there, is there a night that sticks out for one reason or another mm -hmm. as just when the bar was humming at 11 in some kind of way? And, you know, it's just the right mix of people. There'd been an event. Obviously you host all sorts of themed events here from time to time, but is there, is there a night that just strikes you as like, wow, like that was yeah, a great night. There, okay. There's been, there's, there's a lot of nights that get like that. I will say, cause it's like, especially when it's super busy, uh, uh, maintaining a team of good people that work well together and with your customers is not always there. It's something that you work towards and every once in a while it really hums. And I'll speak of probably one of the more recent times uh, this has happened. And it's not necessarily a particular night, but it's since the pandemic had happened, which is a big, probably the biggest thing that's ever happened in this business in 
my life easily, if not since the building of this building. I can't think of anything else. Maybe like pulling a bunch of men out to go fight in a war was probably pretty hard on this business, you know, uh, you know, stuff like that. I mean, this is close to that level kind of thing. Uh, but we had the pandemic and then we were heading into the winter. It was last year and I was doing my best to figure out how to keep it things going while people were comfortable in a reasonable manner. And we had, I've, I've done some extensive build out on the courtyard. The garden is beautiful. And I think this was actually probably more when I, when the garden started to, anyway, it was last winter or whatever. There's a few times I had a DJ playing records outside and I've always loved playing records with my friends since I was a little kid to when I was on the college radio station to today. And to have a friend playing really good music, people sitting around all these multiple fire pits, drinking, enjoying themselves in a very difficult time uh, of a pandemic where people are getting sick, dying, and uh, uh, and the chaos of that, just the secondary chaos is just nuts too that comes with that. But to have that time when people are here and to see the food coming out, people coming in, smiles on people's faces, and to see things like I could stand there, I'm like, man, this is great. And you know what? And then it starts to snow, and there's people are not batting an eye. I'm like, this is insane. People are nuts. This is awesome. Everybody who's here tonight is not going to forget this night. They're not going to think of like this is just some other night. This is a very special night. And there was a, there's been quite a few of those as this has gone on, especially when people are dining when it's, I mean, it wasn't a blizzard, but, you know, light snow coming down. And we have all these beautiful fire pits around and people are smiling and laughing and just happy to be with each other. And to me, I was like, okay, we're providing a very important service. This is great. I think this is great. We need to keep this up. And I feel good about being in this business. This is the reason I want to be here. And to think about that time uh, has been, has been, you know, that, that's, that's the kind of thing that keeps you going during the toughest period of your business. Because I had to come to the point of more than once, it's like I might not make it in this business. You know, I think I will. I'm bound to determine. I'm a strong guy. I, 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 can, I can will myself into existence, maybe. <laughs> but... Am I going to will myself into this existence and still want to do this? And I've seen this business break some people in the last uh, almost two years. And it's already a business that breaks people already. But to have break them and them lose their livelihood has been really hard. And I've managed to be conservative in some ways about how I've done things. I mean, I'm only open four nights a week not seven nights a week, which goes against my original ethos of being a place there, being a place there always for you. But that takes a personal toll too. Seven days a week, lunch, dinner, drinks, 15 years. So for the last two, well, shit, I've been shut down for a bunch of months over a couple periods of time. And maybe again, I said, well, I need to be more versatile. I'm going to have to, uh, I do four days a week, have a tighter staff, and just try to max it out when we're maxing out. I do have the TikTok seven days a week. So if you need to get a drink, definitely go over there on a Tuesday. That's awesome. Great bartenders. <laughs> but to have to be able to order fish tacos 100 hours out of the week, is that necessary when I can do it for 42 hours of the week? Yeah, no, we can do it for 42 hours a week. You can still get your fish tacos. It's just 
at, you know, 3.15 on a Tuesday, you're not going to be able to get them. That's fine. Although that's sometimes the most fun time to drink. But, you know what, it can be great at, you know, 6 p.m. on Friday, too. Uh, well, Steve, I know we also <laughs> have a little bit of a timeline here tonight, too, but I um, I appreciate this conversation. I think sure. we've covered a lot of good ground. Yeah. Anything else that you, you wanted to talk about that we haven't covered? We, we... Oh, uh, kind of what we touched on a bit earlier is uh, do, if you really do appreciate bars and the community around it, I mean, absolutely, have your favorite place, whether it's here or another spot. That's great. But don't hold back in trying out new spots. Don't hold back. It's, 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 good for your, it's good for your head to try new things in general. And then if you try new social situations, places that might make you a little uncomfortable, and bring a friend if you feel a little uncomfortable. But it's so much fun, and there's so much to discover out there. And try to go to parts of town that you're unfamiliar with that you might not think you might not even get along. I mean, as I was saying, you know, I'll troll every part of this town, including even like, yeah, I even went out to Frontenac, you know, it's not my scene, but man, I want to see what it's like, you know, it's a weird scene out there. I'll tell you that, but <laughs> I've got a, <clears throat> I've got a bar for you as a city boy that mm-hmm. I bumped into once my friend, uh, Dave Dietrich brought it up again recently. Have you ever heard of fireplace out in Valley park? I've heard of it. Do tell, though. I want to so, hear more about it. Uh, I'll tell you what. If you go out there in the evening, in the winter, that's not hard. It is a place where you're pretty concerned if somebody's driving you there, you're pretty concerned that they're going to bury you in a hill somewhere because you <laughs> you really do feel like you are driving into the deep woods and then there's just this random tiny little office park sequestered yeah, in, down there. Like so uh, uh, Dave was recently brought it up to me. He's like, he's like, it's one of my favorite places to bounce around to now. But yeah, just... The road to get there is lowercase h harrowing in its own way, where you're going to be like, "This can't be right," but oh, it's right. Oh man! <laughs> well, that, that's I love that you brought that up because I used to work out that way between Fenton, Kirkwood, and Valley Park, and Valley Park in particular. And this is late '80s, early '90s when I was a teenager. I think you described that whole scene because you go from what seemingly like relatively you know, active area too. I don't think anybody's going to hear me scream area. <laughs> and then, then the flood's going to happen and then my body will be gone. Yeah. It's uh, and I, that's, that's the kind of place. And there's another place I went to, God, I can't remember the name of it right now. So some of the most fun areas that I love, and I, I know I'm going to keep going back to it, but it's, what's so passionate about it is that the other places I go to that are looking for bars kind of remind me of that was if you go over to the East side and I know people on the Missouri side of the river, I mean, you got problems. The river is not 25 miles wide. It's very short to get across. And it's it's an oasis and of its own. A lot of learning things. And you can get to the country real quick. Real quick. So, in fact, it's kind of weird because of the way it works. Is But you can literally almost, you can take a bi-state bus and feel like you are in rural Illinois. Because Illinois has more extensive bus lines over there. Because they actually believe in public transportation. Um, but in East Carondelet, if you're not familiar with East Carondelet, it's across the river from Carondelet. Imagine that. But it is straight up farm town, Illinois, like one little post office, a VFW hall and a bar, and that's it. And I don't think that bar is open now. Oh, it might be reopened. Who knows with the pandemic, but you, you go on there and you can look and you do a search for bars 
in the area, and then there's places that have zero reviews. Now that's a place you need to go to. Now I would advise that, you know, don't be afraid to go into a bar, but also maybe you should bring a friend if you're going to one of these places too and make sure you tell them where you're going so when they do try to bury you. No, I'm kidding. But uh, there are some really odd little roadhouses that are probably, like when you check in on your phone, it'll want you to check into places in the city of St. Louis, but you feel like you are 100 miles from St. Louis at least. And it's some fun little spots. I don't even know if they're open now. Some of these places look like they turn over, looks like. But um, you can do that going over there, and super fun. And uh, Madison County, all those places over there. There's some weird little spots you can go into, man. And you can have a whole day of it. And then there's some great food over You stop at some of the Mexican places over in Fairmont City. Now, now I like basically want to leave here and go drink. But... <laughs> We'll have to do with one of these. Uh, yes. We'll take this on the road or something. What do you say? I think that's something like a great plan. Uh, no, those are the kind of things that I get very passionate about and I could talk about them all day. And they're, it's all around you. So I would just encourage people to go out and then just sit down, sit at the bar, talk to the bartender, talk to the person next to you. If they're disagreeable, you know what? Sometimes there's disagreeable people in the world. And then turn the other direction, talk to the other person most likely you're going to have a pretty interesting and memorable time. And it's going to be a lot better than just going to going home and looking at Facebook or, you know, just doing the same thing you've always done. And then of course, come back to your favorite places. Cause that's where you kind of build your, build your thing. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate where you went with that because yeah, it was never a discouragement against that because um, it is, it's certainly fun to walk into that. And yeah, uh, I have a couple friends who live on the east side and it is interesting, like just certain parts when you're driving over, you're like, we, we, we're near a city, right? Because it certainly feels very country, very fast yeah, over yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. people like say, St. Louis is so small. I'm like, no, no, I'll tell you what, I'll take you somewhere to St. Louis. You're going to go, boy, the hell you are. And you're going to think that you're in another, well, more than just another state, like, <laughs> like a far, far, far away. Granite City's got some wild bars. Anyway, I go on and on about the finer reaches. I would recommend just every once in a while mixing it up a little bit. You know, go out with your friends. Just do a quick little bar hop. One, two, three. You know, you don't have to get hammered. Just have a drink at each one and just go out. And as we come out of this pandemic, and hopefully, you know, we will sooner than later. And I have I got positive thinking. I think it's I think we're in for a little hiccup here. But I think that's all it's going to be is a well a heavy hiccup but still there's we're gonna get through it you know and uh you know we can go out and we can feel comfortable about that and uh who knows i might see you over at maybe uh ernie's elm or uh, elmo's love lounge over on olive and hopefully he'll have hot tubs at that time who knew we had a hot tub bar coming into st louis I mean, we have a of- hot tub bar coming so i have to say yeah i will echo your point with the current uh-huh. uh for anybody listening that for some reason hasn't been to the royale or hasn't been to brennan's i don't know what you're doing with your life but mm. The, mm. currently the board at brennan's apparently says it might be the booze talking but i'm feeling <laughs> recklessly optimistic about the yes, new year goddamn right <laughs> cheers to kevin for uh for reminding us of those uh of that great reckless drunken optimism that I am fully supportive of. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I basically want to leave here and go drink at every single place I mentioned tonight. Perfect. And, well, and it's, yeah, it will, it'll, be a long, it'll be a long time. But uh, uh, Steve, thank you for this. This is awesome. I uh, would love to talk again sometime. Yeah, for so, sure. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. 
Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you liked the interview, the transcript and show notes are located at decodingcocktails.com slash podcast. The Decoding Cocktails podcast is produced by Chris Bay and myself, Chris LeBeau. Subscribe to avoid missing an episode. And if you think this is good stuff, share it with a friend or review us on your listening platform. And check out our newsletter, Cocktail Confidential. Remember, the best way to get better at mixology is to practice. And the best way to do that is in the company of friends and family. Happy cocktailing, everybody.